morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to Hillhead at the Grosvenor. If you're visiting us this morning, we hope that you enjoy your time with us. Everything you need to follow the service is both on the printed order service and on the screen. Please stay and have a cup of tea or coffee at the end of the service. Um, as you can see, our service will be led this morning by our Minister Katrina, and we are delighted to have Neil playing the music this morning on the accordion. Um, thank you, Neil, very much indeed. Um, there are craft activities on the table at the back of the suite, and as usual, if at any point any of the wee ones need to have a run around and burn off some energy, the Kelvin suite across the corridor is available to parents at any time. Just a wee reminder to the trustees that there will be a meeting at the end of this service in the Kelvin suite. This should be a very short meeting. <coughs> then an important note about today's evening service. Um, the evening service has been cancelled and also next week's evening service. So evening service was, will now not begin again until the first Sunday in September. So no evening service today and no evening service next Sunday either. Uh, just two bits of family news, and they're both congratulations. Um, first of all, congratulations to Freya on a magnificent set of results, all A's in her exams. Congratulations <laughs> to Freya. <clears throat> Which just sets it up wonderfully for next year. Um, and congratulations to Essan, who has been awarded the prize for the top student in his year in his course at Caledonian University. So two stars this year in the congregation, more stars next year, I'm sure. Next Sunday at 11am, Katrina will lead worship here in the hotel. And just remember, no evening service next Sunday. These are all our notices. Thank you, Anne. It's, it's great to be back. It's lovely to go on holiday, but it's always much, so much nicer to come back home and be among the people that, who I love so much. Our call to worship comes from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. We are going to sing our opening hymn. This was one that Neil was particularly eager for us to sing, and why not? It's absolutely beautiful. God is our refuge, is our refuge God our strength, in troubled times our aid. Therefore, should earth itself be moved, we shall not be afraid. If you're able, you're invited to stand as we sing.
And so let's come to God in prayer. Our prayers of adoration and confession this morning are taken from the resource Patterns and Prayers for Christian Worship. Let's pray together. Creator God, we worship you. In the beginning, you said, let there be light, and the light shone, piercing the darkness. You have made the vast universe, and amidst its movements and glories, your spirit is at work. Scattering the stars and moulding the hills, you have made a world full of beauty. You have made humankind in your own image, stewards of the earth, partners in creation. We are here because of you. That we exist is your doing. You are our God, our parent giving us life, lavishing gifts upon your children. The distances of space praise you. The depths of our being acknowledge your creating power. Creator God, we praise you. Loving God, in the security of quiet prayer, we confess to you that we have failed to live up to the reasonable expectations of others. We have fallen short of our own modest standards and we are far from being all that you would have us to be. We've hurt our fellow men and women, disappointed ourselves and added to your suffering. In the name of Jesus Christ, who welcomed sinners and lifted up the downcast, we ask you to forgive us for what we have done and what we have made of ourselves. Refresh our faith in your willingness to accept us. Help us to enjoy our standing as your much-loved children and enable us to live lives in which you can take delight. We make these prayers in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who taught his followers how to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. In the last week or so, I've come across a custom that a number of North American churches use at this time of year, which is called the blessing of backpacks. And it's a way of symbolizing our commitment to pray for our children and young people and indeed students and teachers at the start of the new academic year. And so I have invited our children and students, if they would like to, to bring their backpack, school bag, book bag, whatever it is they have today. And we're going to bless them. And we're going to do that by putting on a tag and then giving a small gift which you can put into your backpack. 
And I've asked on behalf of Sunday School and Bible class if Anne and Margaret could help me with that. So if you have brought your backpack, school bag, whatever, for blessing, um, please do come forward. If you're a student or a teacher and you would like one and you didn't bring a backpack, feel free to come as well. Thank you. Um, is there, are there any teacher students that didn't get anybody not? Okay, if you're a teacher and you would like a backpack thing to put on your backpack, you may, or if you prefer not to, that's fine. So let's just pray for our young people, our students, and our teachers. God, in Jesus, you promise to be with us in all of life. At the start of this new school year, we pray a blessing on these backpacks and school bags, that those who carry them will be filled with hope and joy as they learn and grow. That on the days when the work feels too hard, you will give new strength and courage to carry on that on any days when loneliness, anger or sadness feels overwhelming, you will bring comfort and hope. And that always and everywhere, your love will surround these children and adults and that you will give them your peace. Amen. And so we're going to sing a hymn about travelling on with Jesus. Will you come and follow me if I but call your name?
It could be my story, and it could be your story. It could indeed be the story of almost anyone who ever began to study theology. It's the story of the person who is loved and cherished by their local congregation, devout in faith, earnest in endeavour, and longing to serve God in overtly Christian ways. As a minister, as a mission partner, as a lay preacher, or indeed as a better informed everyday Christian. And it is almost always expressed in the same words. Don't let them change you. Don't let them change you because we love you just as you are. Don't let them change you because we have nurtured you and empowered you to carry on what it is that we understand and we cherish. Don't let them change you because you're fine just as you are. All the names in these stories have been changed, but the stories are real. There was James, a young Methodist from a very small rural congregation who longed to become a local preacher. This meant undertaking a not insignificant course of study, including a module that went by the rather scary name, theology. He was terrified. This was the module that might undermine everything he held dear. At the first class, the leader acknowledged this as a natural fear and went on to say that the word theology literally means words about God. He said, we're learning to speak about what we believe, to ask questions and explore understandings. We're not out to change you. Of course, to engage seriously with any new knowledge is to be changed in some way. But James was suitably reassured and completed his course. And I heard him preach many times. Then there are the two Marks, Baptist students in the year below me at college. One came from Kent and one came from Yorkshire. And when they arrived at college, they shared more than a first name. Their theological understandings were pretty much identical both quite conservative evangelicals. But by the end of the first term, everything had changed. Yorkshire Mark had withdrawn, refusing to engage with new ideas and reading only those scholars who supported his existing viewpoint. Kentish Mark, on the other hand, found liberation and energy as he embraced new ideas wrestled with conflicts and discovered a broader, deeper understanding of the God in whom he believed. Some might say that Kentish Mark let them change him, while Yorkshire Mark did not. But perhaps the changes in Yorkshire Mark were not so much in his ideas and his understandings 
as I, in his attitude and his engagement or lack of it. Both Marks completed their studies. They both got degrees in theology. And each of them has a very successful, if different, ministry. You see, there is no tidy, one-size-fits-all answer. And that, I guess, is part of the joy of being Baptist and being Christian. In my final year at college, I had the role of what is called senior student, which is not anywhere near as exciting as it sounds. <coughs> it had been a challenging year for staff and students alike. But our, at our final gathering, Yorkshire Mark, who was due to take over from me, handed me a book called Spirituality and Theology. And it's to that book that I have returned for today's service. But what of our own stories about connecting spirituality and theology? Let's just take a few moments to listen to some music and reflect quietly on how it has been for us. So I'm going to read you some extracts from the book Spirituality and Theology that I was given in 2003. The great American Jewish theologian Abraham Heschel once wrote that the issue of prayer is not prayer, the issue of prayer is God. In other words, the questions that lie behind every religious theory or practice is a God question. Who God is and how God is disclosed are questions that lie at the heart of the Christian faith. They are, therefore, connected to our religious experience. Attempts to speak about our understanding of God, theology, and our attempts to live in the light of that understanding spirituality cannot be separated we cannot do theology without risking faith commitment and we cannot be committed to Christian practices without attending to the fundamental beliefs that underpin the Christian story a theology that is alive is always grounded in spiritual experience if it is to be complete Theology needs to be lived as much as it needs to be studied and explained. To some people, that will appear a statement of the blindingly obvious. However, intellectual assumptions born of the Enlightenment are still pervasive in theological circles and are not always at ease with the notion of experience, practice or application. 
And Western Christianity has to survive nowadays in a fluidly and intellectually uncertain culture. The Christian tradition rather importantly suggests that the language it uses is always provisional. The Christian way of seeing reality has sought to balance the desire to speak of God and the need to recognize that God is ultimately beyond all we can say. This elusive aspect of God has best been expressed in the traditions of mysticism and spirituality. Spirituality without theology runs the danger of becoming private or interior. Theology, however, needs the corrective of spirituality to remind us that the true knowledge of God concerns the heart as much as the intellect. first reading this morning is from Psalm 119, starting at verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will observe it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Turn my heart to your decrees and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at vanities. Give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise, which is for those who fear you. Turn away the disgrace that I dread, for your ordinances are good. See, I have longed for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Our second reading is from Acts chapter 15. Some men came from Judea to Antioch and started teaching the believers, you cannot be saved unless you are circumcised as the law of Moses requires. Paul and Barnabas got into a fierce argument with them about this. So it was decided that Paul and Barnabas and some of the others in Antioch should go to Jerusalem and see the apostles and elders about this matter. They were sent on their way by the church, and as they went through Phoenicia and Samaria, oh, excuse me, they reported how the Gentiles had turned to God. This news brought great joy to all the believers. When they arrived in Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles and the elders, to whom they told all that God had done through them. 
But some of the believers, who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and told to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met together to consider this question. After a long debate, Peter stood up and said, My friends, you know that a long time ago God chose me from among you to preach the good news to the Gentiles so that they could hear and believe. And God, who knows the thoughts of everyone, showed his approval of the Gentiles by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he had to us. He made no difference between us and them. He forgave their sins because they believed. So then, why do you now want to put God to the test by laying a load on the backs of the believers, which neither our ancestors nor we ourselves were able to carry? No, we believe and are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they are. The whole group was silent as they heard Barnabas and Paul report all the miracles and wonders that God had performed through them among the Gentiles. When they had finished speaking, James spoke up. Listen to me, my friends. Simon has just explained how God first showed his care for the Gentiles by taking from among them a people to belong to him. The words of the prophets agree completely with this. It is my opinion that we should not trouble the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write a letter telling them not to eat any food that is ritually unclean because it has been offered to idols, to keep themselves from sexual immorality, and not to eat any animal that has been strangled or any blood. For the law of Moses has been read for a very long time in the synagogues every Sabbath, and his words are preached in every town. And that is what they did. medieval conundrum, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin, illustrates one extreme of theology as an intellectual or philosophical exercise concerned with hypothetical matters of no real life worth. Frankly, had I ever been asked that question, my reply would probably have been, who cares? The purpose of theology is not to feed my academic ego. Rather, it's to help me and to help us to speak of God in a confused and confusing world. At the same time, a spirituality that is completely interior, internal, about my salvation And my experience of God, however wonderful that might be, is equally inadequate. 
The purpose of spirituality is not that I or we feel warm and fuzzy, but that I and we encounter the living God who empowers us to serve in this same confused and confusing world. We need to hold the two together. More years ago than I care to remember, it was back when I was living in Warrington, so it's over 20 years ago, there was in my Scripture Union Bible reading notes a little ditty that for me summarised these extremes and holding them together rather well. It said this, If we are all mind, we dry up. If we are all spirit, we blow up. If we are mind and spirit, we grow up. Maybe a bit contrived, but I think it speaks some truth. And that, I think, is a task of reflecting theologically. Holding together deep convictions about who God is and what God requires of us with the questions that arise in the messy reality of everyday life. It is about reading the scriptures with open hearts and open minds and bringing what we discover into conversation with insights from the arts, from the sciences, from literature, from politics, and so on and so on. I think the account of the council at Jerusalem, which we just heard read for us, is a particularly good example of the kind of theological reflection that we find throughout the scriptures, and especially in the stories of the early church. There were many different stories I could have chosen this week. There are devout Jewish followers of Jesus who have grown up in synagogues where the law of Moses is taught week in and week out. They're accustomed to listening to the thoughts of learned rabbis who are employed to do theology, to think about these matters, and to help them to apply those laws to their daily lives. As a result of this, they will have come to understand that whilst in some matters there is a degree of flexibility, there are also what you might call in our parlance red lines. And for the people in this story, one of those red lines is male circumcision. Paul, who is exercising a thriving ministry among Gentile believers, is troubled by this. This is no small undertaking being asked of these Gentile believers in Jesus. Is it really necessary for them to undergo what would be a very painful uh, surgical procedure, albeit ritualized? and which could risk infection and so on. Meanwhile, in another place, a place called Joppa, Peter, the devout Jew and leader of the original apostles, has had a curious experience, which we didn't hear this morning, that changed his thinking forever. In a vision or a dream, he'd been shown a net full of animals that no devout Jew would consider eating, because they were ritually unclean. And he had been told very clearly not to say that something was unclean, that God now declared clean. 
Maybe God is allowed to change God's mind. But certainly this vision, this dream, led Peter to realize that God doesn't have favorites and that God accepts all kinds of people, even those who up until that point he might have considered unclean. And the two men met in Jerusalem, where, along with the other apostles, they seem to have had what we would nowadays refer to in church meeting minutes as a full and frank discussion. In other words, they took time to really discuss it, and maybe there was some heat in there, and maybe there was some disagreement, and, and maybe it went on for quite a while. But certainly, there was some serious theological reflection as they tried to work out how can we hold true to the doctrines that underpin our faith in a context that is very different from that in which Moses had led the newly liberated Hebrew people? What were the timeless parts of the law and what were the culturally conditioned or temporary parts of the law? So what they seem to have done is, is to think what they understood to be the timeless values and which values actually were related to culture and time and context. Or perhaps to put it another way, which things are absolutely essential and which things are negotiable. And all the time, they were trying to hold together what it was going on in their heads and what was going in their hearts. We know this, we think, um, we, we feel that. Our thoughts are this way, our feelings are that way. How do we hold this together in a way that is loving and inclusive? There's a little saying that I have used in a sermon a long time ago, and its origin is argued. Some people say it was St. Augustine, but actually the earliest... Um, attributable reference seems to be some obscure person in the 17th century who fell out with everybody, which is slightly ironic when I tell you what it says. It says this, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. In other words, there are some things where we need to agree. There are some things where we have liberty to interpret as we feel is right, but whatever we deduce about those things, love covers it all. And of course, you could argue from now till kingdom come about what is essential and what is non-essential, so it's, it's not as trivial a little saying as it first sounds, perhaps. 2,000 years have gone on, roughly, since the Council of Jerusalem, but we face similar challenges and opportunities as we try to work out what are the timeless truths about God and Jesus as revealed in the scriptures. And to be open to the guiding of God's spirit to discover new insights for our own time. Our theology and our spirituality can't be separated. Our faith and our deeds must align. This is what we see from the scriptures it's also a very Baptist way of doing things. That we in Hill Head, guided by God's Spirit, listen for what God is saying to us. 
recognizing that the church down the road may hear something a bit different because their context is not our context. And yet we will still love them and they will still love us. What we do each Sunday as we worship God, as we listen for God, as we talk to God and we begin to respond to God, at its best gives us an opportunity for an integrated spirituality that is underpinned by a creative, provisional theology. We don't always get it right. I certainly don't always get it right. But that is the way we try to be. To listen to God, to praise God, to talk to God, to respond to God, with our heads and with our hearts. The story of the Council of Jerusalem shows that all theology is provisional, that we will never, ever, this side of eternity, reach the final answers. Rather, each generation of believers in each context has to revisit and reconsider what it means for them to hold fast to the core of the gospel, the heart of the law. And what is that? As Jesus said, and as God said through Moses, it is to love God and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So let's sing again about the church. The church is, not us, is wherever God's people are praising, knowing they're wanted and loved by their Lord. others and for each other. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, 
You are love, living and dancing through creation. You are light, challenging and purifying our hearts. You are peace, deep and unfathomable, working through and beyond all conflict and pain. We praise you for the gift of life itself. We praise you for our fragile and beautiful planet. We praise you for the richness and variety of different races and cultures. We praise you for human love and laughter. We praise you for sheer fun and celebration. Please help us now, as people so richly blessed, to be those who bring or channel blessing to others. We pray for all who are hungry, whether due to famine or poverty, for all who are victims of violence in armed conflict, gangland disputes or domestic violence. for all who are victims of hatred, prejudice or injustice. All who are sick in body, mind or spirit. All those who are lonely or who feel unloved. All those who have lost hope. We pray for the Baptist Union of Scotland, especially the congregations at Kirkintilloch, Kilmarnock and Kings Park, Glasgow, as they seek to be good news in the communities they serve, exercising their liberty under the guidance of your Holy Spirit to interpret and administer Christ's laws. We pray for the work of BMS World Mission in Thailand as it supports women trapped in the sex trade in Bangkok via the Nightlight Project, and as it cares for children with disabilities in Hope Home. We pray for our own community here at Hill Head, thinking especially of those who've returned to school or college and who will soon return to university studies. We pray for younger adults taking professional qualifications and choosing or establishing career paths. We pray for the many among us whose work is in education and training. May all find the strength and energy they need day by day and may joy and hope sustain them in all they do. O Lord our God, in whom we live and breathe and have our being. Accept our prayers and with them our lives, for we offer them in the name of Christ. Amen.
Loving God, as we bring these gifts of money and as we think of the gifts of money we have given in other ways and perhaps in other places, we pray that you will bless them and bless us as we spend the money wisely in the extension of your kingdom in this place and beyond. Amen. Our closing hymn is a good old Welsh one. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. Please stand if you're able as we sing. with curious minds to, eager to discover new ideas. Bless us with gentle hearts, able to love tenderly and tenaciously. Bless us with a healthy, balanced theology and spirituality, able to learn and grow, live and serve, today and every day. Oh.